welcome to the Mac and Fish podcast. I'm uh, McKinley Roll. Uh, I'm here with my co-host, Charles Fishbine, better known as Fish. Fish, what's going on? What's up? I didn't have a Toledo hat to put on, or I would have put it on. <laughs> All right. Also, we uh, have uh, our co-host, uh, Corey Long. Also, Corey, what's up? Oh, what's going on, guys? Hey, well, today we have a, a great coach on today, Coach Wiener. Um, Corey, tell us how you know uh, Coach Wiener and a little bit about his history and coaching. Oh, my God. Me and uh, Coach Robert Wiener probably go back to about the mid-2000s uh, when he took over the what do you think about how he took over the plant program at Tampa? I think I actually met him when he was an assistant at Jesuit High School. Mm-hmm. But um, really, you know, I would say one of the most decorated coaches in Florida high school history. Arguably, you know, when you look at the period that he was a head coach, the 16 years he was at playing, I can't think of too many coaches at that higher level of Florida high school football that accomplished more than he did. Uh, 16 years, four state championships. Uh, with four completely different teams, you know, we all watched them. Four very different teams with different quarterbacks. Um, two years of state runner-up, just a perennial playoff team. Uh, really, really not only elevated that program, but elevated the whole Tampa Bay area. I think in terms of the of the way colleges started coming through that area looking for players. I think, you know, I would definitely give uh, Coach Weiner a big you know, a lot of credit for really elevating the whole Tampa Bay area in terms of how people thought football was played in that area from the time that he started to the time that he finished. You know, Coach Wiener, you know, you, you go to a program like Plant, not never had a lot of success before you got there. You know, you have to change that culture, change that, you know, that almost like that losing mentality that when things go wrong in a game, uh, you know, that it doesn't totally collapse for the program. How were you able to take a program that never won that much and turn them into a powerhouse while you were there? Yeah, I appreciate the question, Corey. I appreciate all that you said as well. I mean, coming from uh, your background and the number of years we've known each other and uh, that you've been able to, uh, you know, be there. And I know you've seen a lot of our football. Like, that that really means a lot. And uh, I think also when you start looking at the Bay Area and many other areas in terms of when you start talking about college recruiting and players have started getting recruited there you know of course we had bits and pieces before but you know then with the advent of kind of armwood success and our success at plant and then kind of hillsborough county football being raised up i think with um you know guys who are able to bring exposure like you were uh to so many of uh the football itself and some of the individual guys i think that had a lot to do with it as well so uh you know Definitely appreciate all of those thoughts. When we first got to plant, you know, I think that uh, my whole group, which was a group of guys that we had uh, from Jesuit who had been together for a long time. So some of my guys, by the time I finished at plant, we had been together for over 30 years. And I think that's just not often seen in high school. And so when you say that we were able to kind of sustain success at plant after, you know, kind of turning it around early on, uh, I think that sustained, sustained success was based upon a couple of football fundamentals, but I think it was based upon uh, the idea that we had a very cohesive staff that all understood what the vision was. And I think to kind of concretize that a little bit, like the vision from the get-go was to, and I know this kind of sounds cliche, but it certainly was not cliche for us, but was to 
to take those important things in terms of how you develop young people off of the field of football. I knew I had good football minds around them and I knew that we would teach them great football, but to go in, you talk about kind of working a culture. Well, we spent a lot of time kind of building our men into something that I learned from Jesuit being men for others and doing things for other people, being involved in our camps for children with muscular dystrophy and really making a turn in terms of how we treat our academic lives and having kids who, whether they were college football prospects or not, who could go on and really have great productive college careers, even if they weren't football players. And so we felt like we were going to kind of build it from the inside out. And I felt like we had a great nucleus in South Tampa, even though I didn't go to plant, that was where I grew up and uh, knew a lot of the people. And there was a great history there to the school. Uh, Plant's one of the finest uh, high schools in the country. And uh, it's ranked every year by U.S. News and World Report. It's one of the top 50 public high schools in the country. So we figured we needed to put a football product out there that was going to match what the rest of the school was like. And so from the get-go, we tried to focus on some character things. And in the early days, you know, people really didn't understand that because they thought like, you know, I might have been doing some things that may have sacrificed some early victories. But I always told our people we were we were not going to sacrifice long-term success for early glory. And we made a, a, a pact to that. And so when we were working on trying to get people on board with that, eventually if there were people who were not buying into that, then they weren't going to be people in our program. Truth was, was that it raised the bar and it raised the standard. And there were some people, we had a young man named Walner Leandre, who probably could have had a 10 year NFL career <laughs> Uh, this guy was super talented and, but he had been around school and just, uh, he would tell you had been terrible around school, terrible as a student, terrible in the way he treated people. And we were super proud that first year, 2004, that Walner, Walner Leandre won not only for our school, but for the entire Hillsborough County, he won the turnaround student of the year. Uh, in Hillsborough County. And then there's a young man who went on to junior college at Blinn Junior College. Uh, and amazingly enough, with another one of our players, when we played for our first state championship in 2006, on that day, there were three things that were happening at the same time. At one o'clock, we were playing for a state championship. At one o'clock, Walner Leande was playing Dante Spires, who was another one of our great players from that first year they were playing in the junior college national championship of Pearl River Community College versus Blinn Community College at the same time. And then at five o'clock, David McCarthy, who was, um, I'm sorry, Kevin McCarthy, uh, his older brother, who is the son of a principal at, at uh, Robinson High School, who had tragically passed away uh, as a principal, as a, as a young man, Kevin McCarthy was receiving the national award for the national football foundation scholar athlete award and that to me was a culmination of those two years of how you say are we going to focus on culture and that's the buzzword today but that really meant something tangibly for us hey coach you know you were known as the quarterback whisperer around here and probably around the state uh you know i remember in 2006 when robert marv uh, when he led you to your first state title, he won Mr. Florida football, went on to uh, 
commit to Miami. I think he left Miami later to go to Purdue, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Um, you know, and it was funny because I'm sitting there, me and Fisher actually at UCF seven on seven the following year. And I had a little peek at Aaron Murray. I'm telling Fish, I'm like, oh yeah, Marv is good. This Murray kid, however, Murray kid's out of sight. And, you know, Fish is telling me, he's like, come on, man. You know, how can he just have another one? I'm like, trust me, <laughs> this kid, this kid's, this kid's ridiculous. And, you know, Aaron turns out he helps you win a state title. He, you know, he suffers a horrible broken leg. I remember in 2008, comes back late in the year, beats, uh, I think he beat, was it Dwyer? In the semifinals that year? Semifinals, his first game back was against yeah, Dwyer. first game back to be Dwyer, which was like a Jacoby Brissett, uh, Matt Elam team. You know, it was very, very Those guys who were in the NFL, who ended up in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. Goes on, four-year starter at Georgia. You have another kid behind him, Philip Ely, who ends up going to Alabama, and then later think he transfers over to the MAC conference. Did he go to Toledo? Toledo, baby. Toledo. Yeah, I got a picture of him in my office. <laughs> And more recently, I see that, you know, Rex Culpepper, who, you know, young man who dealt with cancer, a couple of weeks ago, throws his first touchdown pass. He played for you. Really, I mean, when you think about all these great quarterbacks that you had a chance to coach, you know, not only, you know, how fortunate were you, but really, you know, what, what came into nurturing these guys and helping them develop into the players that they became? I think it's a great question, you know, and there was um... – some of you guys might know there's a, a guy in Tampa who's a local uh, sports writer for many years. He's since retired, uh, who played quarterback at the University of Minnesota when he was much younger, named Jim Reese, uh, who wrote for the uh, St. Pete Times then. And, uh, um, and Jim's a really brilliant guy and knows quarterback play really well. And he actually studied Robert Marv and Aaron Murray statistically and uh, – put him up against guys who he had heard were the best back-to-back combos in the history. Like I think like out at modern day, maybe Sanchez and Colt Brennan back-to-back or uh, maybe it was Leinard. I'm not sure who the, you know, who the studies were, but numerically it wasn't even close. Uh, You know, what we did uh, in those years with those quarterbacks that you say I was really fortunate to be around and there's no doubt that is the, that is the biggest truth. I mean, the only reason that I'm talking to you from an, from an apartment up in Toledo is to have had many amazing players like that. But those guys, like Rob, Robert Marv in 2006, threw for 4,800 yards, and no one knows that he rushed for almost 900 as well, but threw for 48 touchdowns. Broke Tim Tebow's touchdown passing record that season. When we played Nice, Tim Tebow's team the year before, in the finals in 2006. And the next year, Aaron Murray threw for 4,800 yards, also threw for 830 yards or something like that. And he threw for 51 touchdowns, breaking Robert Marv's uh, state record at that time. Uh, And then the next year, uh, Aaron Murray's senior year, he breaks his leg in the sixth game and an injury that's supposed to take four and a half months. He comes back in seven weeks and Philip Ely holds the torch to them. And the two of them together in the season throw for 4,800 yards and 53 touchdowns. And um, so those numbers at that time, like even in future years when we could really sling it around the field, 
I don't think those numbers were ever seen again. I don't think they'll ever be seen again for three straight years in three different quarterbacks. I don't know that that'll ever be seen again at the same high school, you know, do those guys have that. So they each had their own special talents. And I think the biggest thing for me is kind of being their quarterback coach, which, you know, being a head coach, sometimes like it gets you in the newspaper and gets you on interviews and things like that. But a lot of times it's a lot of details being a high school head coach that, uh, that you don't want to deal with on a day to day. Everybody says they want to be a head coach until they become a head coach. And uh, I'm on the phone every day now with uh, our guy at plant. Now, Cyril Brockmeyer was my JV coach for years who took over at plant. And he's like, I had no idea all of these things that you had to do, but the fun part every day was coaching the guys, you know, and, and for me in particular, positionally, it was the quarterbacks. And, uh, uh, I think that the first thing is kind of to go meet them where they are. And then the second thing is to instill an unparalleled work ethic. Uh, my quarterbacks know, and my quarterbacks families know that once you become the starting quarterback, like your time <laughs> for your high school years are time that's found in the field house in front of the, in front of film and out on the field. And, uh, what we learned in time was involve the families in many times that as we can bring them over and have them do things as well. But, uh, I think that the efforts of those guys in the early years had been unparalleled. Right. And then you look at a guy, like you said, like I have three guys who are out in college right now, Tucker Gleason at Georgia tech who battled for the starting job, Jordan McLeod, who is the starter right now at USF and Rex Culpepper who by an unfortunate injury by the starter this week, actually Rex uh, will be the starter of Syracuse uh, going forward here. Uh, and Rex of course is an amazing story, you know, a cancer yeah. survivor. And, uh, but I think the thing was, was I think maybe Rex is a good example. Like how do you spend some time in significant ways with some of these guys to make them be, have the opportunity to be their very best. Like my job is, I can't go out there and throw the ball. Like even at my best, whenever that was, <laughs> I couldn't throw it like any of those guys could, you know, but, uh, but to find a way to give them the best Avenue to be the best they could. And I think the way to do that is first and foremost, is to kind of carve, carve away into their lives because quarterback has so much to go with what's going on in your head and what's going on in your heart that you as the head coach and that player as the quarterback, you better be, uh, kind of inextricably tied to one another because the only people whose heads on the line every single night is yours. You know, maybe you get more praise than you should, but you also get the blame whenever anything goes wrong. And for me, as terrible and tragic as this was that when Rex Culpepper had cancer, there was two phone calls he made that day. And the first phone call that he made of course, was to his mom and dad. And I was out at a camp with our current quarterback up in Orlando at an Elite 11 camp at that time. And the second phone call that he made was to me. And I think that if you find a way to kind of spark that kind of relationship with those kind of people that you become part of their family and they're part of your family forever. And I cherish my family, my real family, uh, but I also cherish my quarterback family and those quarterbacks play off of each other. Robert Marv was a teacher of Aaron Murray, Robert Marv and Aaron Murray were teachers of Tucker Gleason, uh, last year, there's constant communication amongst our guys. And 
So I think just a dedication to the work that it takes, a belief in the system and the process of how we're going to do it. And I think that carries over for those guys in college, which is why through health situations, they've been pretty successful as well. But I have been, I mean, to get back to the first statement, like unbelievably blessed uh, to be around those guys and to be around all the guys that I've had at plant, whether they played significant roles in winning state championships or whether they never got on the field. Uh, that has been uh, some of the most meaningful work and the most blessed part of my life. Well, Coach, you've coached some great players like Murray, Marv, James Wilder. Which one stood out to you the most? It's uh, a good question, and you're trying to get me in trouble here. There's <laughs> uh, <laughs> one thing, as you know, about being a part of great programs is they always want to talk like, who's better, 2006, 2008? Like, and uh, these fights constantly go on, and uh, then it gets down to individual players and things like that. But I have had some amazing ones. I mean, you know, some that have gone on and uh, guys that are playing in the NFL right now. I mean, Orson Charles uh, as a tight end to hit at the same time uh, that we had Aaron Murray and Philip Ely. You know, with those guys, I mean, Orson Charles is one of a kind. He's one of a kind personality-wise, as well as being just a physical specimen, you know. But uh, And James Wilder was the number one recruit in the country uh, during the time that we had. But you know what I found out? I found out that he was the number one guy on the sideline. I mean, there was a day that I think James, I don't know, he was late to something or whatever. And like a lot of coaches, I'm a stickler for – you know, those things. So here I have the number one player in the country and we're going to play Gaither at Gaither. And, uh, and I suspended him for the game. And, uh, as I suspended him for the game, uh, you know, here's a guy, superstar, all everything on the front of every magazine with veins popping out of his arms and all of these things. And I'm looking, we're yelling on the sideline at the Gaither game. Uh, we're yelling for the managers. Where is the water? We had a timeout. Can we get some water bottles out here? Where is the water? And all of a sudden, I see this guy in a different color jersey because you have to wear a different color if you're not playing. So we were wearing white away, wearing his black jersey, number 32. I see him. He's carrying an entire cooler on the field and has a cooler on his shoulder, and all 11 players are drinking from the cooler on his shoulder, right? That is a picture of the number one recruit in the country. But you know what? That really is a picture of what the number one recruit in the country should look like. And mm -hmm. so I have had a lot of these guys who have been around me. I mean, the quarterbacks have been spectacular, but then we've gone down the list of the middle linebackers we've had. Uh, you know, we have a kid playing in Indiana right now. This is Micah McFadden, like he'll be playing on Sundays one day. He's a tremendous player. Thomas Allen, who's Tom Allen's son, uh, at Indiana uh, has been there as well. Joe Ryan, who ends up being a captain at West Point uh, and is now one of the most revered people who came out of his class uh, at West Point. You know, when you have these guys in the middle of your defense too, everybody always wants to talk about our quarterbacks, but what about our quarterbacks on defense, you know? And then you have just great players who made plays. Alan Sampson, who may not have been a big recruit because he was about five foot seven, but Anybody who saw him, I'm sure Corey remembers, like this guy was electric, like he was lightning in a bottle. And every single time that he touched the ball, something amazing could happen. When we had Wilder and we went and beat Lakeland at Lakeland, I think we're the only team 
in the history of Lakeland to, to shut them out at their place, 20 nothing. Not only did we have Alan Sampson and Philip Ely, but we had, uh, and James Wilder, but we had a guy named TJ Glover, who was the fastest thing that you've seen out there. And now this TJ Glover, if you look up his name now, he's uh, on one of these uh, seven on seven teams that plays against the NFL guys. And uh, he wins those tournaments all the time. He, his team won a million dollars last year, winning that national seven on seven tournament. So we had really a collection of guys. And then honestly, you talk about all of those guys where the strength has been is we've always been good up front on both sides of the ball. And, uh, just had some tremendous players there. We've had some tremendous offensive linemen, including our latest one, Will Putnam, who starts for Clemson now. And uh, never seen somebody put people on the ground like he did uh, so often. You know, we were kind of a pass-happy team, so not a lot of pancakes for offensive linemen until we got Will Putnam. <laughs> and then now there's people on the ground all over the place. And that man, that young man had a nasty streak to him, too. And he brought a whole different attitude to the way that we played. And, uh, you know, so you're talking about teams. And even years that we didn't win the state in 2016, I think one of my favorite players I've ever coached, Dane Franson, uh, was the quarterback. And he's about five foot eight. But he was the toughest son of a gun that you've ever seen. And he did a quarterback battle with a guy named uh, Kyle Trina, who, when he didn't win the quarterback battle, could have pouted, but instead became like this, uh, you know, Swiss Army knife and did everything for our team. And we had a wideout who was just developing named Christian Watson, who is a superstar at North Dakota State right now and will probably go on to play in the NFL as well. Uh, so there are just a slew of those guys. So I really did not answer your question, but I really basically said all of our guys. <laughs> I, I knew you would. See, I knew you wouldn't. They didn't know that, but I knew you weren't going to answer that. <laughs> but, hey, it's the political season, so not answering questions is what's in vogue right now. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, you know, I want to go to, um, you know, another area. Um, and I have, we know this, and a few people more locally know this, but in uh, 2014, you actually, you know, I, I know you've had college overtures over the years, but you actually took a job. You took a job at USF under Willie Taggart and what would have been his, I think, his second or third season as wide receivers coach. Year. Yeah, wide receivers coach, and you held it for, what, 48 hours? <laughs> Not even. 20 Not even. And, <laughs> and decided to, to go back to plant, which I guess is what – you know, made the decision for you leaving when you did a little bit more surprising. And so first of all, what didn't feel right about you going to USF at the time? Because it seemed like a good fit. You being a Tampa born, you being, a, you know, a Tampa resident, local great high school going to, you know, going to the local uh, university. And, and what made you decide that right now was the best time for you to go on and chase, you know, go on and be a college coach? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really a legitimate question, right? Because it sets itself up that way. I went for for that one day, and it's uh, it's funny, you know. I had a a real emotional time in December and January this past year, and even before the whole world, you know, turned upside down. To quote Hamilton, that uh, uh, that the world went crazy here with everything that's going on. But my father passed away in December and that was really, really hard on me. The only way I'm even in sports in any way whatsoever is uh, because of him. And he and I had a great love for sport and shared every kind of sport together. And uh, 
uh, and thing of that sort. And it was interesting, you know, back at the time that I took the USF job, I had called 10 people when Willie Taggart had offered me the job. And Willie and I had known each other for a long time. Willie recruited Aaron Murray when Willie was at Stanford. Uh, Willie almost even tried to bring me on at Stanford with him because Jim Harbaugh was the quarterback coach, but he didn't actually have a quarterback coach. So he was like, well, I'm going to tell Jim Harbaugh to have you like be the room keeper when Jim Harbaugh's uh, gone doing head coaching things. But that didn't come to fruition. If that had, maybe I would have uh, jumped at that because, uh, you know, I may have been during the time I had Aaron Murray, but I don't know. They had Andrew Luck, too. So maybe I was switching out even even there. But, uh, you know, uh, but uh, but certainly uh, Aaron will be my guy for uh, for life, of course. But uh, but Willie told me he's like, when I get my job, my job, he's like, you're going to come with me. And, uh, you know, Western Kentucky was did a great job there, obviously, and kind of a stepping stone. And when he came to Tampa, he called me that night right before he got on the plane. And he's like, hey, uh, uh, meet me at, um, you know, the USF facility for my press conference. I'd like for you to be there. And I was there. And of course, we didn't talk any terms or anything that day. But the next day we did uh, speak about that. And uh, I was real excited to do that and things like that. But I called 10 people when that opportunity became available to me. And I mean, names that you would know is like Tony Dungy, you know, since Eric had played for us and just to ask them advice. Um, uh, John Gruden, who I'd known for a long time, uh, Urban Meyer, uh, and then people in my family, my mom, my brother, my father. And the interesting thing was getting back to my father was that my father was the only one who told me Really, my father and Urban Meyer, the two of them told me, you know, I know that that's a goal for everybody who's in high school, but maybe that's not your goal like that, that you, you know, and it's got to be a personal thing. And Urban's point was even like, you know, very infrequently, do you get to be in an opportunity to, and these are his, his words, not mine, you know, to be the best in the world at what you do. And I certainly don't consider myself that, but that's what he said. And and he said, so, you know, and he's like, well, if you ever wanted to be a college coach, why didn't you tell me that earlier? And uh, <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, you know, just, I wanted to get input from different sources, but my dad was the only one at that time who kind of told me that, uh, that, I don't know, you get so much joy and fulfillment out of what you do. And uh, when I went to USF and I was there for a day and, <laughs> We were having our meetings and we were installing offense. And I remember I was sitting there like writing down stuff of our offense that we were installing, like thinking that I was taking plays that I was going to use for my offense back at plant. <laughs> like I had to like say like, wait a minute, you don't have an offense anymore. You're part of someone else's offense. <laughs> like, yeah, you can use these plays because those are your plays now. That's all you got. <laughs> and uh, so I went there and, you know, I called my mom that night and I said, you know, I said, I, this, I said, and she said to me that I've never heard you say that you wanted to be a college coach. And, uh, so it's hard the next day went in to tell uh, Willie the next day, I was probably the hardest conversation I've ever had with someone. And so I didn't want to let him down. I certainly didn't want to make him look bad. He had just gotten to Tampa and I didn't want to add this to reflect upon him in any poor way whatsoever. And obviously it was a, local story, you know, cause of what we had done was, uh, important. So, um, you know, so I tried to get out of that as gracefully as I could, but I think what I said in the, 
press conference after that was really the truth. And that was that I'm a teacher, a coach and a well-loved man. Uh, it's a quote from, uh, from Tom Wingo and the Prince of Tides and uh, in the book, the Prince of Tides. And, um, and I think that's true. And even at that point I said, well, this might close the door on anybody ever offering me a job again. And um, I'm okay with that. Well, and the fact of the matter is, is <laughs> that was obviously not true. <laughs> Uh, there were many other possibilities. In fact, there were many other possibilities this year. Uh, and uh, so, you know, things twist and turn and change. And I don't think we ever say, you know, never for, for things that, you know, might be coming up in the future. And I think the most interesting thing that Mark did was is for the three days that I was sitting there with my dad in the hospital as he passed away, I was able to tell him that Jason Candle had offered me this opportunity amongst other opportunities that I had. But this was a man that I believed in and I felt had a vision that was similar to mine. And I spent years kind of fulfilling what my vision was and getting everybody else on board that it was time for me to go try to be a part of someone else's vision and do what I could do. And it's funny, my dad, who in 2014 basically told me not to take the USF job really one day before he passed away. And really the last conversation that we ever had, part of that conversation was he told me that, he couldn't be more excited for me and that this was something that I needed to do as a challenge at this point in my life. And he understands me better than anybody and, you know, knows that, you know, no books are ever closed. And, um, but it was right along the lines of what my feelings were. And I felt like it was an opportunity for me to take on a challenge with kind of people that I believe in uh, up here in Toledo and at a place that has been special to some of our guys. And now I know how special it is. So actually this segue into this question, coach, you know, I met Jason Candle uh, at a small school recruiting fair in Day County or Broward County. You know, that's how he built himself up. I mean, not many coaches go that route and get all the way to a uh, power five or, you know, FBS school. But, you know, I've met him. I like him a lot. He's what's he like as a coach and what's it like working for him? I'll tell you, he's he's a, a couple things that, you know, like I said, he's probably the main reason that I came up here. Um and he's a couple things that I expected and a couple things probably that I didn't expect. And uh, number one, as expected, his vision is similar to the vision that I described earlier on in our conversation. And that's that you start with kind of an idea of what it is that you want for your young people. Like, how do you want to help them become people? And I know that some schools like give lip service to the academic part of this. And this is like, we meet every single day and talk about that, not for the sense of trying to keep people eligible so that they can make good football plays for us, but of developing human beings who can go do something after their college years, knowing that the NFL is only in the offing for a few of them. And uh, the ability to get to know these kids I'll just give you an example, you know, during these crazy times that we've been in, uh, I think like, um, after the, uh, after the death of George Floyd and all that happened with that, so many colleges kind of came out with statements on the internet and on social media and things of that sort. And coach Candle even got, um, uh, criticized a little bit for not coming out with an early statement. But what Coach Candle did in instead during that time was that he got on the phone. We were still quarantined at that time. He got on the phone 
with every single one of our players and every single one of our staff, individual phone call to all of them. And, uh, and that was more important to him first. And then we had a group Zoom conversation in which he said, okay, we've talked about this and let's talk about this as a group. And we had an amazing group Zoom meeting. And then he said, now as a team, let's make a statement on something like this. So this is a man who's not interested in the pomp and circumstance. He's interested in the intensity of what's really profoundly significant for young people. And my whole thing is, is if I'm going to go into college, I'm not going to change who I am. I want to be the same person who is in this business, quote unquote, because we have a chance to make an impact on people and those people make an impact on us. And to me, that's what it's all about. And then if at the end of the day, this college thing is not that, then I won't be a college coach anymore. But my model is going into college is that I want to take what I really did kind of philosophically in high school into college. And that matched up a lot with Jason. Kind of unexpectedly, what I've learned is that Jason <laughs> is equally as sarcastic as I am, if not more so. <laughs> so, so those kind of personalities uh, match up uh, uh, completely. And I think some of the players, like until they actually understand how to take him, they're, they're not 100% sure. They're like, wait a minute, did he just tear me apart? Or was he joking? Or what was that? <laughs> and uh, so I think that's one of the things uh, for sure. But what I've also found out about Jason is, is that I don't think I've ever met anybody who loves football more than he does. Like people talk about loving football, right? And I love the game of football. I love all of the things around it in terms of building young men, but Jason loves the game of football. He is truly a little kid at heart. Like when he goes out to practice, like he'll bump my quarterbacks out of the way sometimes so that he can get in and take reps throwing the ball because he wants to throw the football. He can sit with you in a film room for hours and talk about plays and how the plays develop and how we could change this play because he just uh, he loves the game so much and he is deeply inside of it. And really the strength of Toledo is, is when you can get a team to intellectually get to that same level then you can go out and play fast and play with some real, real, real dynamic abilities. Coach, it's been a long time since you've coached a football game, probably close to a year now. Luckily, you won't have to wait until the spring because the Mac's going to do a six or seven, you know, a seven game season, I believe. So you're going to have a chance to coach this year. Really, you know, how has it been? How has it been just waiting kind of this uncertainty of COVID. Uh, I know you read a lot. I know you do a lot of things to keep yourself busy, but I mean, it's been, it's been 11 months. I mean, it'll be 11 months by the time you coach again. What have you, how have you, what else have you been doing to keep yourself sane during this time? I'll tell you first and foremost, I have immersed myself into this offense. So just learning this offense, um, you know, maybe the time away from that part, at least for me as a coach has been a little bit of a blessing in disguise because, uh, uh, there is a lot to learn here. And, uh, and it's not just like, okay, what's the formations and what's the plays? Like you get that, but now what are the nuances and uh, ID the defense, ID the front, ID the defensive backfield. And then how is that applying to what it is that we're doing? What is that telling you? Uh, where are the indicators that they're going to blitz? Where are the indicators that they're going to be in man coverage? Where are the indicators that they're going to be uh, in four across? So, 
all of these things that we're picking up. And of course, my position is the position that has to know that inside and out. So in order for me to teach that, I had to get to know that inside and out. Yeah. And to be very honest, I'm, I'm a work in progress, uh, just as well as our players are. Like, I'm still getting there. And, uh, but I've spent a lot of time kind of immersing myself into our offense to have an ability to, uh, to be able to teach that in the best way, uh, you know, that I possibly can. Early on when we got quarantined, I came back to Tampa and spent some time back there at home. I still have kept my home there in Tampa uh, and, uh, and have that as well. So uh, I was like anybody else a little bit during that time. <laughs> I've done a lot of home renovations during that time because even though there are a lot of people in Tampa I wanted to visit, uh, I was really pretty disciplined and didn't, didn't really visit with, uh, with many of them at all. But, uh, uh, you know, but in the midst of that also, we were in kind of a height of recruiting time for us. So really spent probably about my areas are not only central Florida and then up and into Jacksonville. So that's my area kind of back in my hometown and area, but that's, uh, my area is also, um, uh, is, uh, Northwest Ohio right here in Toledo. And then the whole kind of quarter of the state up here in that way. So I also spent that time making phone calls, FaceTimes, Zooms, and getting to know all the coaches up here as much as I possibly could. Because uh, I felt like I was an important area, and I want to make connections uh, with uh, with all of those guys as much as we possibly can. Like you said, I'm an avid reader, and that doesn't even start stop now. Like we're in fall camp right now, uh, and uh, um, and even though I only get about four or five hours of sleep a night, like kind of before I do, and uh, you know, I'm I'm reading a book. I'm reading a book right now called Dreamland, which is a very interesting. Uh, book on kind of uh, history of, uh, of drug trafficking in America and various hotspots where it was. And it's kind of a really, really interesting study. But um, so, yeah, so those are the things that have kind of kept me busy. But really, I've never been a man who really needs to find anything in particular. <laughs> There's always uh, something that's, uh, that's, that's going on. And honestly, like, I'm not very, like today is our only day off from practice. Like normally during fall camp, there's no days off from practice, yeah. you know, uh, but since they started us real early uh, mm -hmm. and we'll start on November the 4th with our first game, we have an extra, really almost an extra two weeks of, uh, of uh, you know, of camp. So we end up being able to space that out a little bit, a little bit more, but uh, I'm not good at sitting around doing nothing, you know, like today there were, football games on <laughs> I, they're on they're still on right now but I don't think I've watched any one of them I've just uh uh been watching the Bowling Green game from last year on my uh on my computer here getting ready for our first game because that's uh that's what it's going to be now that being said I have taken time out to make sure that I've watched our Tampa Bay Lightning our Tampa Bay Rays and our Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's a good time for sports in Tampa Bay, baby. Uh, <laughs> and I don't believe that you get four or five hours of sleep. I feel like you get 40 minutes of sleep a night generally. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I've always that's my, Here's the weird part. Like, I have always talked about loving football. And, you know, you guys who are football guys and been around football for a long time, like, I honestly, like, I wake up in the middle of the night and I have – plays like dancing in my head and I have a 
notepad right next to my bed and I write them down. But now when I dream of those in the middle of the night, they're really confusing because they're like plant terminology and Toledo terminology mixed together. And, uh, some of those plays make no sense. They probably would not be good plays uh, at this time. So. <laughs> but that's the life of a football coach. Absolutely. Mac? Uh, okay. Uh, well, Coach, uh, you're now a coordinator. Uh, do you eventually want to be a head football coach on a collegiate level? Or do you just like being involved in game planning and, and help calling plays? It's a good question. And I think uh, anybody who knows me, like, um, you know, I was brought up in a tradition with uh, Coach Wild Bill Minahan in Tampa at Jesuit and Coach Dominic Sayo in Tampa at Jesuit. And he's now at Berkeley. And those are two of the most humble human beings in the history of the world, uh, those two guys. And, uh, you know, so... I've never really seen myself in any way, shape or form as like that guy uh, who's even in charge of things. It's just, uh, you know, a collection of people who are together in a family trying to do things well. And that's why I'm in this spot now, because I've had great football players that you asked me about before and amazing coaches that I've been around for years. And they've kind of put me in a position where I can where I can be at this place. But anybody who knows me knows that I love, and this is not like a power thing or anything else, but I love having a vision that I can place before someone and having that be, having that become a collective vision and then having a group of people have input into how you make that vision come to fruition. And even I, our team pastor at, uh, at Plant, JJ Johnson, who's one of the most amazing men I've ever met, his first question for me is, are you going to be able to do something where you don't have that anymore like yeah. that you're fulfilling someone else's vision and I was like sure I did it for years with Dominic and stuff like that and just being completely transparent and honest like that's been the hardest thing for me since I've come up here is that uh is that I like uh I like having that burden and responsibility on my shoulders I think if that's in your DNA that's in your DNA that's who you are mm -hmm. and so that being said there's uh uh, there's no doubt that, that that would be something that I would really like to do again. Uh, and I'd really, uh, think that, uh, you know, the kind of things that make up who I am, that's part of, of what I'm going to do. I try to do that in my own little small areas now within the confines of what Jason Campbell's vision is, but do it in with my group and with my guys that I interact with all the time. And, be the head coach of my position uh, in the best way that I possibly can and try the best I possibly can to be a community leader here and do the things that I possibly can um, in those ways. But uh, there's probably no doubt. Now, I do think that the biggest difference for me is that uh, I've never been a career football coach. Like, I really – from the year I got out of college, I worked for a year before I got into teaching and coaching. I don't ever feel like, and I know this is cliche as well, but I don't ever feel like I've had a job. Like I've never had a job. Like this is what I love to do. Like every single morning I wake up and it's exciting. Like you get to interact with people at their, at their greatest moments of triumph and their worst moments of tragedy. And being there for both of those is an incredible honor uh to be that part in people's lives and so 
I don't see it as that. Like I'm, I'm here right now to do the best job that I can for Jason Candle and for these football players that I have. And uh, if that never results in something else that comes after it, that's perfectly fine. I felt that way in high school. I could have been Dominic Sayo's assistant coach for the rest of my life. And I would have lived a very, very, very fulfilled life. Uh, head coaching was never even my goal back and then. I didn't know that I was wired that way until I actually became one. But, but then Dominic Sayo saw it before I did. He stepped down from the job of Jesuit so that I potentially would get it. And then I didn't get it. Uh, and then that's how it came about that I kind of ended up at plant. And, uh, but, uh, but there's no doubt at some point that, uh, uh, down the road that, uh, that would be something that I think would really fit into my line of thinking. But I do also believe that it's something that if it never happens, I don't, I don't feel like anything's been shortchanged in the process of doing it. Uh, I love what I'm doing. I'm not working for any next job. I work for, for, I don't even work a job now. I work for these kids. And Jason asked me one day if I saw a bump in my um, check when he had named me the coordinator and there was more money associated with that. And I'm like, I don't know. I've never even, I've never even looked at that. And he's like, that's why I love you. Like you, you don't even know what your check is that's coming in every month. And, uh, and I really don't, you know, so to me, like, you know, coaching is a calling and, anything that people get to do that is involved with working with people in really, really significant, impactful ways is, is a calling and your life's fulfilled by that and not fulfilled by anything else. Well, coach, when that day comes that you get that call, I'm ready to run your recruiting. So you ready to roll? <laughs> I'm ready to roll, man. I'm ready to leave. I'm ready to leave the basement, you know? Well, keep my phone number in your phone. All right, man. Well, it was, it was a pleasure speaking to you today. And um, I, I look forward to speaking to you again. And um, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, yeah really thank, thank you guys having me. I mean, I know you guys have done amazing things within our sport at all levels. And uh, I really, really feel honored to talk to you guys today. Hey, you know, Coach, I'm going to get you some Polk County kids in Toledo. You know, give me a call we're oh. done. I'm getting some Polk County kids in Toledo. You know yeah, that. I, I know they play football in Polk County. You know that I know that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Coach, what's your uh, what's your social media handles? How can somebody follow you in the program? Yeah, so amazingly enough, I mean, I just got on Facebook for the first time ever last week. Uh, I don't know if you should have did that. Yeah. <laughs> you may have just lost your top recruit, you know? <laughs> but I've been on Twitter now uh, – uh, Tucker Gleason, my last quarterback, uh, we were at an Elite 11 camp one time and we were waiting like for registration or something. And he's like, Coach, you need a Twitter account. And I'm like, Okay, well, show me how to make one. So we made one. And then, of course, like a year later, I became a college coach, in which that is absolutely our, our tool. So my Twitter account is at Toledo QBs. Okay. At Toledo QBS. Okay. Uh, uh, and, uh, my Facebook, I think, is just my name. Is that the way it goes in Facebook? Yeah. I don't have a MySpace or anything like that. So, well, Coach, uh, Coach, Coach, you're going to probably have to change that Twitter. You know, if you go to another school, it can't be, you know, the leader of quarterbacks. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, will, it will have to be changed if that's <laughs> right now. Go Rockets. Absolutely. 10-4. Right. 10-4. All right, Coach, thank you. Thank, thank you, Coach. Appreciate you. All right.